0: I'm excited about today's passage. As we look, we kind of are finishing up. This is the second part. We're looking at Hebrews 2, verses 14-18 through today. But real quick, a, a recap for some of you guys that may not have been here. Hebrews is written to three audiences. Real quickly, it's written to the primary audience is Jewish believers who were all in in their head in what they confessed about Christ. And they were all in in their heart the way they were living for Christ, but they were struggling. Because they were being persecuted. They were being ostracized. And so they were wavering a little bit. So this writer wrote to encourage them. But he also addressed a secondary audience, which was this group of people that were intellectually bought in, but anytime it cost them anything, they would run. They were not all in. They were merely head-knowledge believers in what Jesus was or who He was. And then the third group were people that were still trying to figure it out. They were still trying to figure it out. So these are the three people that he's written to. And he writes the overarching theme of the book is Christ is supreme to everything. And in chapter 1, he lays out how He's supreme to angels. The order was God, angels, and man. And the Jewish people believed that angels were divine. They had a long history of seeing how God used angels to bring punishment, to deliver His people, to deliver messages. So... they worshipped angels in some instances. They weren't supposed to, but they did. The angels were divine. And so the people that this letter is written to are struggling to say if Jesus was Messiah and He was supposed to be supreme to angels, then why was He human? Why was He human and why did He have to die? That makes no sense to us. If If He was God... Why would he die? Because gods don't die. And so we looked at last week this whole idea of, of um, why he had to be human. But remember, before that, there was a warning given at the beginning of chapter 2. It was an invitation warning where he said, beware. You, know, you need to be careful. You need to pay more attention because listen, how will you escape if you neglect this great salvation that's been given to you? He says, you've been given this opportunity to know about the true Messiah. And you need to be careful of drift. And remember, he's talking to unbelievers there, but those principles apply to you and me also if we're believers. And we we looked at three, three what I call instruments that we can use to evaluate drift in our life. One is time. Am I closer or am I further away from God than I was a week ago, a month ago, a year ago? And and listen, closer is not just reading your Bible every day and having a devotion. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not religious activity that makes you closer. It's am I doing kingdom work? When the king wants me to do something, am I more inclined to obey him today than I did yesterday? That's what the definition is. There's a lot of people that do religious activity who were far away. He says, many of you are going to say, Lord, Lord, I did this and I did that. And He's going to say, depart. I never knew you. Because if you love somebody, Brad, we talked about this the other day on the radio, if you love somebody who's your authority and they tell you to do something, you obey them, especially if they're the king. And remember in the Hebrew concept of kingship or kingdom, the king's um, reign is where his will is being obeyed. It's not defined by geographic boundaries. So when you obey Jesus, you obey God, you're spreading His kingdom. we are spreading His kingdom, and that's what He's talking about. So be careful of drift, He warns. Well, last week we looked at these three reasons why Jesus had to be human. Why He had to suffer. And remember, the first reason was it was God's great plan for us. He, he basically created us to rule. And we looked at back at Genesis where He says you were to have dominion over the earth. We were supposed to rule the earth, but sin came along, cursed us, cursed the earth. It flip-flopped. The earth rules us. us Satan was given dominion over the earth. He's the prince of the earth. The prince of the power of the air of the earth. He's the one that is, uh, has the power over death. Did you know that? Temporarily, he can, he can inflict death on you if he wants to, but it has to go through God's hands. You know why? To you go back to Job chapter 2, when Job, Satan goes, hey, if I want to do this to him because the only reason he loves you is because you give him everything. And he said, well, you can do this, but you can't kill him. So who ultimately controls death is God. But temporarily, he's put earth under the domain of Satan and his rule, as God so lets him rule. But it was God's great plan for us that Jesus would come as a human, and deliver us because that's what he did. He came as a human and he died. He suffered to take the curse from us and to take it upon himself. Then we saw that he not only, uh, it was not as, just his great gift that was revealed in his humanity, but God's great character was revealed in his humanity and his suffering. Because how else are you going to rectify God's justice and his love in dealing with sin and sinful mankind? And and it's because His character is just, but He's loving. And so His character was revealed in the humanity of Jesus. And the fact that He says, I know, I will go Myself, and I will come and I will live among them. I will walk in a human body. I'll set My divine power aside to experience what they experience and then suffer and die on their behalf. What God does that? No God does that. No human does that. But it was his great character. It was also revealed in his sovereignty. And the fact that he says, by whom and for whom all things uh, exist, he's sovereign over everything. So part of Jesus' humanity, again, goes back to God's character and the fact that he's sovereign. That's a, that's a key component of his character, that he's <laughs> sovereign over everything. And it's also revealed in his plan that he wanted to perfect everything through suffering. And that makes no sense to us. But we're going to see how today I think it might make a little more sense. And then finally last week we saw it was God's great gift to us that he sent Jesus in the flesh. Why? Because if you want to see God, 2,000 years ago we got an earthly picture of what God looked like in Jesus Christ. You could see him. If you lived 2,000 years ago, you would have seen God. As you saw Jesus, because Jesus perfectly lived out what it meant to be under God's rule and to be God in the flesh. And so he showed us that. Well, today, as we look at the last part, I call this chapter, uh, I mean, this last part of chapter two, 14 through 18, our great gift, part two. And again I want you to think of verse 3 that says how shall we escape guys if we neglect this great gift that we have how are we going to escape God's judgment because there's nothing left for us And today I want to look at two things What what do we gain from his humanity and suffering I mean, what benefit is it? It's great to know that it was part of God's plan. It's great to know that God has this awesome character that revealed itself through Jesus' humanity. But what do you and I gain? Because in reality, we're motivated in most of our life by what we gain, not by what we give up. True or false? So I want you to understand that what we gain is important. God understands that. And He reveals this truth to us today. And I want you to see these two things. The first thing is, He defeated Satan's power through His humanity and suffering. Now, that's huge for us. You know why? Because what did I tell you Satan's power was? What did he have the power to do for us? Death. Do we worry about death? I don't worry about it. You know, I, I hear, and I'm not saying you're this way, James. But I hear a lot of people say, I'm not worried about death. But if somebody came in here and stuck a 45 up to your forehead and said, I preach him And said, deny Jesus or die. That puts it to a whole new level. It's one thing to say it in a classroom full of Christians who love you. It's another thing to be in the Middle East where you know that they're going to string you up or put you in a cage and burn you alive or behead you and to say it. And we live in in a culture where our culture has a very superficial buy-in to Christianity because we're protected. And we protect ourselves from death. I think if we're really honest, if each one of us were honest, we would all have to acknowledge somewhat of a little bit of a fear of death even if it's not great. True or false? True. Yeah. Yeah. Woody Allen said, you know what? I'm not afraid of death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Unavoidable But the point is, why do we fear death? Why do we fear death... I mean, there's so many things that you think about. One is the fear of pain and suffering associated with death. It's much different to think about, you know, I I think we envision different from movies, TVs, or even real life stories of things. We envision what the pain and suffering might be like associated with a cancer death. Or a car wreck death. Or a death and a fire, whatever it is. So we think about the pain and suffering associated with it. But another thing is, it's just the fear of the unknown itself. Because <clears throat> we don't talk to people after they die. Nope. Yeah. And so we don't know what's on the other side. It's all based on our faith and, and what we believe to be true. But we also have this fear of non-existence. I won't be here anymore. Where will I be? Will I be anywhere? We have a fear of eternal punishment. We shouldn't as believers. Maybe we have a fear of, of, of being in front of Jesus and Him saying, you know what? Uh, Greg, I gave you all these opportunities. and Man, you didn't take advantage of it. <coughs> and I think there's going to be a lot of people that get it there in their life and they're going to face that. In fact, I was talking to a guy the other day on the telephone two days ago. And his daughter told me to pray for him and I felt led to call him and I called him because he's having some medical conditions. He's in the hospital and they're pretty serious and he hadn't been following the Lord for at least 10 years and he just busted out crying as soon as he heard my voice and we started talking. He said, man, I've been running. I've been so angry at the church and he was talking about his local church of what they did. And there was stuff that bothered him. And he ran away from God because of these people. Not because of God. And and then once he started running, he felt like he couldn't go back, which is a lie of the enemy. But there there was this, this tearful, oh gosh, I've blown it so bad. And I said, you know what the best part about God is? That if you blow it, He tells the story of the prodigal in Luke 15. The father's running to see you when you come back to him. He just wants you to come to him. And as long as you're not in the box yet, it's not too late. And that's what I told him. And he affirmed to me on the phone he said, I'm I'm there. He said, I'm there. And we prayed right there. It was a beautiful thing. I called his daughter. She just started crying because she'd been praying for him for 10 years. But we don't have to wait to a near-death experience to say, okay, I'm drifting. God, bring me back. I need to be in relationship with you. That's what He's wanting. But the other thing is we fear not being around our loved ones. Who's going to take care of them? Who's going? Man, I won't be there to, to do this or to do that. I mean, just the fact is, in our culture, guys, we do everything we can to shield ourselves from death. We, I mean, when people in other countries, when people die, sometimes their bodies will stay out there in their home. I mean, their body, dead bodies in their home. while family members, I mean, we don't do that. We chuck them off to a, a mortuary or, or, you know, we take them to a funeral home. We get them out. We don't let our kids see it. We don't let people see it because we want to get them away. And we do everything we can to shield ourselves from the idea of death. That's so why we go to the gym and work out. So I eat things like kale, and that's nasty. I mean, we eat all this stuff to try to prolong our life, and you know what? We try to shield our kids from it, and it's reality. I remember when Rachel, my daughter Rachel, was waiting on a heart and she got really sick and we thought she was gonna die. We got a call from the principal of the school where she went, and the principal goes, I don't know what to do. I've got a parent on the line really bending my ear because your daughter goes to this school and her daughter's so upset she came home crying two days in a row because her best friend's dying. What am I supposed to tell her? And I said, well, what am I supposed to tell my daughter? She's the one dying. I said, I really could care less about how this lady is supposed to explain to her daughter about the friend. She should be talking to her about it just like we do with Rachel. But we don't talk about it. We shield our kids from it. Other cultures don't do that. It's a part of the life. And if you're a good parent, you're going to instruct your kids. This is reality. You don't create a false world for them. I'm not saying that you, you, know, you just expose them to a lot of stuff, but you talk to them about reality. Death is a part of our reality. It happens every day. And truth is, none of you in here know when God's going to bring you home. But when He is going to bring you home... It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what diagnosis you get. It doesn't matter what somebody wants to do to you. If God is not ready to bring you home, it doesn't matter. And so we don't have to fear. And that's what he's talking about in here is how Satan was defeated. His power was taken care of. And I think that's a really encouraging thing. So we're going to read Hebrews 2. Uh, Chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. And we can come back and look at these two ideas. He defeated Satan's power over us, and he displayed God's ministry through us. And what I mean by that is through humanity. He showed us what it looks like when God's ministry is displayed through a human in Jesus Christ. And that's what he wants to do with us. So let's read along, starting in verse 14. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. May God bless his word. He defeated Satan's power Over us. It says clearly in verse 14 that he, the children were flesh and blood. And the word share there, I don't know what it says in yours. I think it says partook in some translations, both of those words are partook, but it's different words. It's different Greek words. The first word is like koinonia, which means like fellowship or community. And so that's why it says share. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise partook. And that word's a different Greek word. It means we didn't share... Jesus didn't share the same humanity we shared. He came and He took humanity on to Himself from the outside. You and I share it because we're born into it. He came from another place and took it on. And I think we have a wrong idea of Jesus sometimes because we think about him as divine, and he is. He's 100% God. But he set aside his omnipotence, his omniscience, and his omnipresence for when God wanted him to use it. And so, when he was a little baby being held by Mary and Joseph, he wasn't looking up at them going, You think I need your help, but I know all about you. That's not the way it happened. He grew in wisdom and stature. And He grew as a human being. And at different times throughout His life, God would use Him to do something and at moments He had that divine. He would choose to exercise it when God the Father wanted Him to exercise it. I, and I hadn't really thought about that that much till I was studying through that. Because I've always had this idea, Jesus always knew what everybody was thinking all the time, but He didn't. I don't believe he did. And the reason I don't believe he did is because there's a verse over in John. Um, I think it's John. Where it, it says, yeah, John, uh, he says, I tell you the truth in John five nineteen, The son can do nothing by himself. He can do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. And so what He's saying is He is not acting independently by choice. He set aside His heavenly powers so that He came into this human body 100% human. So guys, guess what? When He felt hungry, He felt hungry just like you and I felt hungry. He didn't have this supernatural ability to go, okay, I'm not hungry anymore. He experienced it like you did and like I did. But he didn't give up his God nature. He didn't give up his God essence. He just put away his powers to walk as a human because he wanted to come among us. And it says, he did this so that he would destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. He delivered us from death. Who has the power to deliver us from death? Only one person can deliver us from death. No human can do that. Amen. Only God. Amen. Back in De- Deuteronomy chapter 32, it's a song of Moses. Uh, Moses was commanded to teach Israel this song, and they were cons- singing it continually. In 32 39, uh, it says this, speaking about God See now that I, even I, am He, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there is none that can deliver out of my hand. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers is the only true living God. He's the only God over every force in the universe. And He delivered us from death through Jesus. When when Satan went to to God about Job, he said, you can do this, but you can't do this because He's the power. And that's why in Jesus in Matthew 10 says, don't fear the ones who kill the body. Fear the one who can cast your soul into eternal torment. In Revelation 1:18, he is the one who has the keys, what? To death and Hades. In Revelation 1:18. And the truth is, guys, you and I we deserve death. We deserve what Satan gives us. Colossians 2 says, "And you who were dead in your trespasses." We were dead because of sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. That is me and you. But Romans 8.1 says what? No yeah. No condemnation. And listen to what else it says right after that. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. And Paul writes that on the heels of talking about his struggle with sin. And what he's saying is, Jesus has set us free. And that's what he's telling these people in Hebrews. He's saying, listen, he defeated Satan's power over us. And the first thing he did is he defeated death. And he had to be human, because had he not been human, he wouldn't have died. But when he died, three days later, he rose again to prove that he had victory over death. Amen. In 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul, after he talks about what the Gospel is, he finishes up at the end by saying, O oh death, where is your sting? It has no sting anymore. And you know what the sting is? It's fear. fear not, it's the fear. Paul says in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ, but to die is what? Gain. It's gain. So is Paul fearful of death? And there was a group of people who were upset because he was going back to Jerusalem and they're going, hey, don't go there, don't go there, because if you go there, man, you're going to die. And he goes, Why are you crying? I'm not, a, I'm not afraid to go back there. I told you, I've had three people. You can't go to India. You can't go to India. Why? If it's where God, the safest place you can be is where God wants you to be. Because we're all going to die. There's not a better way to die than dying going out serving the king. Right. I'd much rather do that than get hit by a drunk going down Beach Boulevard. Right? You're right? We're all going to die unless He comes back first. And so, He gave us freedom. Now here's the thing. In Galatians 5.1, it says, For freedom He has set you free. What does that mean? For freedom, He has set you free. Therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You see, in the Galatian church, they were going back to try to be, they were trying to keep the law to make themselves. But what that did is it brought them back under slavery. They were fearful. If they didn't do this, then God might not accept them. And what He's saying is, listen, He set you free by His death on the cross and bought your freedom. In Galatians 5.13, He says, use your freedom for service. Use it to serve others. Why do we think He set us free? I'm, I'm being real. As you go to church and you hear the Gospel, for most of us, We've grown up hearing a gospel message that when we hear, we think he set us free for what reason? So we to hell. Yes. For us. And what does he say in Galatians? He says, No. You've been set free for what? For others. Mm-hmm. Guys, this is huge, it's a big deal. So many people in this country have the mindset that they've been set free for themselves. But we've been set free to be a kingdom of priests spreading His kingdom authority as we go living out His kingdom authority in the world. We're obeying Him. We're caring for others. And that's what He's saying. He's telling these people, don't buy back into this slavery thing. You've been set free. You're letting these people cause you to fear. You're worried about them. Don't be worried about them you've been set free and that's what he's saying Jesus had to be human so that he could set you free and he set you free so you could serve and then over in 16 he throws this in I love it for surely it is not angels that he helps but he helps the offspring of Abraham he's not helping angels angels are holy they're either holy or evil and that's not going to change two types yeah But guess what? He came to the offspring or the seed of Abraham. That's us. That's people of faith. Guys, isn't that? God chose to come to us to give us this incredible gift. How shall we escape if we neglect this great gift? How are we going to escape? And we take this gift that we have and we treat it, like I said last week, like like a sunrise that we take for granted. And He gives it to us to go out and to minister to other people, to serve other people. How do you do that? Well, you know what Michael did? And I'm sorry, Michael, I'm going to use you. I called Michael. He got up this morning. He came and cooked eggs at the beach, even though he didn't come to that study because he had to get home and take care of his kids. But because he knew there was a need there and I called him, he came out and cooked eggs for the guys at the beach this morning. And you go, well, that's not that big a deal. To you and me, it's not. But for him, he did it for God. That's serving. And guys, we have opportunities all around us to serve our great King. Every time we say yes to Him, we're spreading His kingdom. And we're being a light to other people. We're serving others. That's what he's talking about. So he goes on. He goes, therefore... And what is he saying, therefore, far? Well, because he didn't come to help angels, he came come to help us. He says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers. Again, he's getting back into this argument. He had to be human because he had to be like us, he says, in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So here's the thing, he displayed God's ministry through us, and and he, he basically through us, through humanity, what I'm saying there is Jesus came as a human to show us what it was like to be merciful to people. He was merciful, it says. I just drove by when I was coming down Bonneville Road and I made some friends. Right there on the right, when you drive by, right now if you look there, there's Samuel, there's Jacob, and um, I can't remember the lady's name right now. Sitting on the bench. Yeah, sitting on the bench. I brought them food a couple of times, mm-hmm. and every time they see my truck, they just wave, and I wave at them. And, and they smile. Now, I go by them, and I see them, and I go, man, That's tough. Lord, help them. And I don't ever stop. I don't ever engage with them. Am I merciful to them? You know, the word mercy means to relieve pain or suffering. They're in a bad way. Whatever got them there, I don't know. But they're in a bad way. But I know when I drove by there today and I waved, she smiled. And Samuel smiled and said, Hey! Jacob and Samuel. But the point I'm making is if you never stop, you're not engaging, you're not being merciful. Jesus engaged with the hurting. He engaged with the leper. He engaged with the blind man, the lame man. He engaged with the woman with the issue of blood. He engaged. He was a merciful high priest. He engaged with the prostitutes. He engaged with the... The, the tax collectors, the dregs of that society. So why don't we? Why don't we? Why aren't churches getting together and saying, guys, let's go and let's go minister to some people. He was merciful toward people. He showed us. He displayed what it looks like when God ministers through humans. But he was also faithful to God. He was a faithful high priest in service to God. That means as a kingdom priest, he did what God wanted him to do, not just what he thought he ought to do. Not not when somebody comes to him and says, I don't think you ought to do that because that, you know what? You might get in trouble or you might go, you may not be able to come back to your family or whatever. And and we live in a world that manages our relationship with God. Through what we think we ought to do and not do. We manage. We have this conditional buy-in with Him. Oh, I'll do this to a point, but I don't know if I'm going to do that. Oh, I can give you this much, God, but I'm not giving you this over here because it's all His anyway. Listen, if I get on the plane That's next right. week and I go to India and I get off and they interrogate me there when I walk through and they figure out, they search me and they find the money and they take all the money that I take in there. Who is who's that issue with? Is that my issue? It's, not, it's God's money to start with. And you go, well, that's foolish. No, Why that's would you not. go all the way over there if you know there's a chance? Because you know what? I don't know what God wants to do. All I know is right now, He's put it on my heart to go over there. He's affirmed that I need to go over there by Dawa and me talking and other people affirming that that I trust that know Him that aren't just thinking from a worldly perspective. And then He's brought in (laughs) funds for me to take. So right now, I'm going and I'm taking it. And if they collect that money from me and take it from me, then that's between God and them. He's the one who's in charge, not me. I'm just a high priest for Him. Which means I'm an intermediary. And that's what Jesus was. And He modeled what it meant to be a faithful high priest. Remember back in Exodus 19? it said. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation back in Exodus 19.6. And then Peter says the same thing. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He was a merciful and faithful kingdom priest. Thank he was our example. He suffered temptation, it says down here in verse 18. It says, For because of he, because He Himself has suffered when tempted, He's able to help those who are being tempted. He felt what you and I feel. He was a human tempted in the desert. He was tempted to go away from God's plan in every way. Have you ever been tempted to go away from something you know God called you to? Every day. He was tempted in that. Do you think Jesus struggled with any kind of sexual temptation ever? Do you think when he was talking to a prostitute, it was any different from me or you talking to a prostitute? The way things would go through our mind? Do you think he suffered any way differently when the people in his family mistreated him? That he didn't feel a desire to take matters into his own hands? When the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders slandered him, do you think he didn't struggle with feelings too? Sure. Yeah, he did. He was human. And He suffered. Hebrews says He suffered in every way like us. But He never gave in. So you know what? That made the suffering even greater. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Jerry, you and I, we talked about struggles before. When you struggle with a sin that has got a hold on you, and you're fighting and fighting and fighting, when you give in, there's a release. There's a relief that takes place. Because you go, okay, I'm in. I've I've given up and now I'm here. And you don't feel the pain of that struggle anymore. But then you feel condemnation from the enemy. Because the same finger that says, come on, come on, come on, then points a finger and says you're guilty. And that's what He does. He's a murderer. He's a liar. But Jesus suffered all this. And so here's the deal. Jesus came to show us what it looked like to suffer temptation and not give in. And He did that to comfort us. And what this writer is telling the reader here is he's saying, guys, He suffered like you did. So understand, He suffered and didn't give in so He could encourage you. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. He was the propitiation of our sin, it says here. And you know what that means? That means to put away divine wrath. And here's what He's doing. He's tying in gratitude to service. He's telling them that first He's saying He delivered you from death. Now go serve. You're free from slavery. Go serve. You know where I see a parallel? Go back to the Old Testament. On Passover... What happened? They were delivered from death. And then what did He do? He delivered them from slavery. And then what did He do? He he said, go and represent me to the world. That's the pattern. He saves us. He delivers us from slavery and says, now go put me on display to the world. And the children of Israel never got that. It was always about them. We've fallen into the same trap. We just call it modern American Christianity today. It's the same thing. Not good. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10 says it this way. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Amen. We are His workmanship, created for good works, that we should walk in them. You see, gratitude is our motivation for serving. That's why we serve. We don't serve out of obligation. We don't serve out of negotiation. We're all in out of gratitude. It's not this, okay, God, I'm doing this for you. Now, I hope you're going to let me in there. I hear that a lot of times with people. You know, I think I've been pretty good. That's negotiation. Or people serve well. I got to do this and I got to do that. No. We serve out of gratitude. He has delivered us, guys. I want to tell you something. There's a, there's a thing that I've struggled with that it's not a big thing, but it's something that's just I've struggled with and it's just a, it's just one of these little areas of my flesh. And I've just gone to God and gone to God and what I realized is I just ask Him, Lord, just take this from me. I just give it to You. And I realized (laughs) that one of the issues for me as I was so focused on the sin instead of focusing on Him. When I focused on Him, He took that away. He took it away. And I've just been so grateful at everything He's doing to enlighten me to who he is. And that's what this writer's saying. He is our great gift. So what do we do with him? Why wouldn't we be all in? Horrifying. Why wouldn't we be there with him, guys? We should be all in because of what he's done for us. And that's exactly what he's telling these people, these listeners. He's saying, don't neglect this. Because if you do, there's nothing left. Right. There's nothing left. Does that make sense let's just take a moment right now and close up our time father i just thank you so much for the reminder of your grace and your power over satan your power over death and thank you for the great gift of your son jesus coming in human form coming to show us what it looked like to be a merciful and faithful high priest And I just pray, Lord, for each one of us, if we have drifted away from the path of really being a kingdom priest for you, I pray that right now, Lord, whoever is experiencing that and and realizes that, they would take a moment right now in the quietness of their own heart to acknowledge it and ask you to help them be on a different path and stake their ground today that they're going to start allowing you to be who you should be in their life. And they're all in. Thank you. Thank you that we can bring all these requests before you and entrust them to you as a faithful God. We love you. You are awesome. Amen.